things seem more real the closer that they are to you. Um, we, we live in a world now where information comes to us across the globe in seconds. And of course, that, that definitely impacts the way that we live and we experience things and that causes us some no small degree of tension. Um, but the closer things are to you, the greater they seem. So we could have uh, thousands of people die across the other side of the world and we go, wow, that's terrible. What a horrible earthquake or a building collapse or, or, or something like that. But it, it doesn't feel the same as when we hear that there was a tornado that touched ground this week just an hour from Stouffville. And if, I'm not sure if any of you have had a chance to see some of the photos or the videos of, that have come out from Barry, um, the, the house devastation that, that came there. Uh, it, it just sort of arrives, all right? That's, that's the way it was. It was an experience for those people that th there was a minute where there was nothing going wrong, and, and then a couple of moments later, absolute devastation of their, their home and their life, and, and everything had been turned upside down. And when we have a moment like that, we, we see those things, we have a, a habit in, a, in, our, in our world, in our culture, of describing that kind of an event as an act of God. And when we have acts of God, when, when we as a society um, that sometimes wants to believe in God and sometimes doesn't want to believe in God, when we have a moment of devastation and disaster, it's almost a universal kind of feeling that now we can say that was an act of God. And this is so often the way that we view God. Because, well, it was loud. And, and that the loud stuff, we're, we're more able to hear that. And the loud stuff, we feel like it impacts us more deeply and more quickly. And that must be the way God is in that underlying sense that so many, maybe you, that underlying sense is that God is mad at us. And he's, he's always on the edge of being mad. He's got a bit of a hair trigger. Anything goes wrong and boom, give him another earthquake. Why not send a tornado? That'll teach him. That'll put him back in line. And people who are not willing to give God a, a second thought in any other day, perhaps a day when it's sunny and warm and beautiful, we, we, we don't think about God on that day. God only seems to exist when there's an act of God. And unfortunately, that's the way certainly our culture has come. Um, now, this is kind of like not knowing somebody. When, you, when, you, when you, you've only heard things about people, when you, when you don't really know someone intimately, you, you can say that their whole character can be summarized by that, by that one act, that thing that they did in public, and you, you don't know anything about their life at home. There's a lack of intimacy. There's a lack of awareness. There's a lack of closeness. What I want to do in this uh, next couple of weeks is um, to help you see, or I guess to hear, recognize, I've heard that. As a culture, we have had uh, the Bible, we have had the scripture, we have had talk of God for our entire existence. This culture, North American culture, grew up with Christianity. It grew up with it, and it's, it's in there. It's deep in. And the problem seems to be now that 
it's been around so long that we, we forgot about it. Or it's just so familiar we don't even hear it or see it anymore. And so we're, we're content with saying what we know about God is a tornado. It's, it's a hurricane. It's a tsunami. It's an earthquake. That's an act of God. That's what God looks like. That's how we see God interacting. But when you, when you, when you see in Scripture, people, when they, when they describe what it looks like, they're, well, that's where God tells me that I'm not allowed to do this and I'm not allowed to do that, and that's what I have to do. And if, if, if I don't stop doing those things that he doesn't want me to do, and I don't start doing those things that he wants me to do, then very likely, either for the community or in my life, somehow there was going to be a tornado. There's going to be, um, there's going to be a punishment. There's going to be a judgment. This is, this is the way the interaction happens with God. And that's the summary of so much of Scripture is that it's do this, don't do that, or there's punishment, there's, there's judgment, there's you better watch out. And as, as a way of interacting with Scripture and then interacting with God, it's really, really flawed. It, it, you don't know Him well when you can say that. You, you, you can see parts of His character or, or you can hear parts of His character that other people tell you that's what God's like, but you don't you don't have a bigger picture to put it in. So what I wanted to do is to try and help you to see that there is so much beauty, there is so much art, there is so much creativity, there is so much powerful poetry in the way that we inherently know God even though we don't know that that's knowing God. And so that's what I've heard that is all about, where I'm going to try and show you things that are well-known in our culture, phrases that you have heard. People say these things all the time. They have not necessarily any understanding of God or any relationship with God, and yet they use these phrases that, wow, the beautifulness of them, the, the, the creativity of them, the wonder of them, the <clears throat> stickiness of them, we, we all sense because they exist in our culture and we didn't even know where they came from. So as, as a culture, we would say, yeah, I think North America, we're suffering from a lot of biblical illiteracy or a lack of knowledge of Scripture, a lack of knowledge of God. And so we, we've worked along, and, and, and it became year after year that if you knew the Bible well, you'd be able to answer trivia questions about the Bible. The essence of knowing God and knowing the Scripture was, I can tell you how many years the 13th king of Israel reigned for, as if that is somehow knowing God. And that's the way we, we, we sort of summarized Bible knowledge was I can, I can answer trivial pursuit questions and not I can apply. Not I can see how that might impact my life. Not how I might be able to sense God's work in and through me. Not how I could take guidance and wisdom from it. Just as little spots of information. So we're going to do this for three weeks. Today we're going to call it uh, Things Going Right. Next time, it'll be things going wrong. Week three, it'll be people and what they do. These are different places, all coming from Scripture, things that I'm sure many of you have heard most, if not all, of these phrases and had no idea. Even with your biblical literacy, you had no idea that these things came from Scripture, that this was part of the revelation of who God is, what He's like, and it's not just God does this, it's the way He chooses to communicate. And there's so frequently beauty, tranquility, a rewriting of what you see, beautiful phrases to describe so many things. 
so much of the way we live. And so that's where we are. That's what we're going to do. The Bible has become an essential part of Western civilization. Even if you don't like it, it was uh, used as a heavy, heavy influencer on what we do and how we're going to do it and how our laws are made and all that kind of stuff. And whether you agree with that or whether you agree with its presence or whether you agree with whether or not it's true, at this point, that doesn't matter. These are things that have already happened. This, this is what already has been shaping the way we live. And you'll hear it in TV. You'll hear it in, in movies. You'll, you'll, you'll hear it in music. You'll hear it in, in, in the news commentary. You'll, you'll read it in books. You'll see it in newspapers. You, these kinds of phrases are all around us. And I want you to be able to see those sorts of things. And then we're going to try and figure out why our culture who is so familiar with these things, have, re have reduced down the beauty, the majesty, the power of what is in Scripture to not realizing these phrases come from there, these, these small descriptions of God and the godly life, how they've been separated from Him. And we, and we become content with saying, the Bible is a list of commandments that are out of date. It's about a sky fairy that doesn't really exist. How we can distance ourselves in so many ways. We all know that if you, if you want to have an enemy, the first thing you have to do is, is depersonalize them, dehumanize them. And so that's why we call people names or that's why we label people because you don't want to say, my beloved mother-in-law says this. You say, that crazy old lady, right? We, 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 don't, we don't talk about people specifically. We use phrases, we use labels, we use isms to label them so we don't have to deal with them as people. And that's just not the way we want to be. That's not the way we want to be. We want to treat everybody with dignity and everybody with respect because this is what we have learned from Jesus. This is what has been revealed by God. And so I want to help you see some of those things as we go forward. The first thing I want you to uh, see if, if you know this phrase. Imagine this scenario. Uh, young guy starting out in his, his practice, and this practice just happens to be in a church, and he's facing adversity. And he, there's, there's challenges, and he goes, I, I, I don't really know what to do. I mean, I, I'm trying to do the right stuff. I'm trying to do a good job, but I, I just don't know how to do it. And his mentor comes along, and, and he paints the picture of what this is going to look like, not removing the tension, the difficulty in what's going to be there. And he says Fight the good fight. Now, that, that, that's a phrase we've heard an awful lot, right? That, that, that phrase is around it. It's described how do you go about life? How do you interact with it? You know, get out there and fight the good fight. Don't give up. Keep doing a good job. But this actually came in a letter from the Apostle Paul to his um, mentee, his pastor in training, his uh, son in the faith, Timothy. And he's describing what it's like to be a pastor in a church. He's acknowledging the problems that are around there. And so he says, Timothy, fight the good fight of the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Hold tight to that. And that's really a way of Paul saying to Timothy, hey, keep your eyes up, buddy. Stay focused. Stay in this. Understand that there is a fight. There is a battle. 
It is something that you're going to have to interact with. It's not going to all be easy. Fight the good fight. That's part of the language that God has given us to understand the world that we live in. Here's another one. Maybe you heard somebody say this to you this morning. It's time to get up. Why don't you rise and shine? Did you know rise and shine was part of Scripture, part of the mandate, the call of Scripture? And, and in this, what we, we think of it as, hey, it's time to get up. It's uh, time to get going, time to hit the day, time to get going. But the actual context is, is much larger. It's much more about mission. It's much more about understanding who you are in this moment and what surrounds you. What is bigger than just you in this moment? And so Isaiah is where we find this passage. Uh, Isaiah chapter 60, starting at verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse 2. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Three. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. It's much bigger than just get out of bed and start. There is a largeness to the way that we live our life. It's not just me. It's always bigger. Even in the mundane, there is no real mundane. It is always a battle. It is always larger. There is always other people that are involved with where we are and what we're doing. And when you come to that, Oh, man, you, you understand that um, there are all kinds of times when things are going to seem overwhelming. They're going to be beyond you. And you're going to say, how do I keep up? How do I go on? And, and Jesus gave us a recommendation that has become ah, just, a, just a way of saying, hey, work hard. Keep at it, right? When we tell people, it's time to go the extra mile. Or, huh, we love to have Johnny around because Johnny goes the extra mile. The extra mile. It's a phrase, and for us, it was just a way to describe, hey, you're a good employee, you're a good guy to have around. We want you to be involved. You, when, you, when you're here, you make things better because you go the extra mile. You do more than you have to, but in this original context, this is more than just a try hard and hockey player, give 110%. It's, it's not that kind of go the extra mile. There was a very real historical context here. Um, Israel was occupied by Rome. And when Jesus is using this to describe the way he's living, he would not have got uh, happy faces looking back at him. He's validating the position of Rome and go, why would we ever do that? But, but here's what happened. Because you're in occupied territory, if a soldier came around you and they're moving stuff, they pull you out of the crowd, they pull you out of your house, they say, um, move this. <coughs> the law, Roman law, that they enforced by the sword was that you had to listen to a soldier. If they asked you to move equipment for a mile, you had to do that. But they were limited to asking you to move it for a mile. That was the law. And so when Jesus in Matthew 5 says, uh, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, you carry it two miles. You, you do what you're supposed to do. You do what you have to do. And then you go beyond. This is the way that we relate to God. This is the way we relate to our world. This is the way we bring the kingdom of God to life in front of people. And this is one of those places where we say again, Jesus, your kingdom, it's all upside down. It doesn't make sense to do that. Why would I want to do that? How could that help? How will that benefit me? 
go the extra mile. A way that we interact with each other. Not about me first. And so much of our society is based on the idea, the belief when, when, when people were forming these, uh, these countries, both Canada and the United States, there was the idea that the laws that we're going to put in will only work if we have people who are in pursuit of God. That's the only way they're going to work. Only if they desire to make a better country, a better world, a better kingdom. Because the, the, the law tells you the minimum standard. That, that, that's the least you can do. And, and so many of us have said, that's, that's the way I'm going to live. There's no law that tells me I have to do more. I'm not going to do more. But the way to the better culture, the better fellowship, better church, better family, better business, is for people to all agree. We go above and beyond. We go the extra mile. We help each other. And not just in times of crisis. Although in times of crisis, we decide, yeah, maybe that's going to be okay. Maybe we will do that and we don't even think about it. But if we could do that in more of the everyday, the way that we could transform this culture would be powerful. Go the extra mile. And then if things don't work out well for you, maybe, maybe you're just going to be able to escape by the skin of your teeth. A beautiful image of what's going on there. A beautiful image. What a, a, a phrase that we, we, we hear so many times. This is uh, a, a description of somebody just, just getting by, just getting away. But what an image by the skin of your teeth. This comes from Job. And Job, oh, he had a hard time. So many tragedies in Job's life. Job chapter 19, starting at verse 20. I have been reduced to skin and bones, and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. Another phrase that we had no idea, or maybe you did. Did you know that that came from Scripture? Did you know that by the skin of your teeth was one of those phrases that, that was gifted to us by inspiration from God? It's one of those places that again reminds us that we have favor in the eyes of God. One of the ways that uh, people would uh, poetically try to describe somebody who's important, valuable to them, they say, oh man, I look at you, you are the, of my, can you feel that in? You are the apple of my eye. Where did that even come from? Well, it came from God describing his relationship to Israel, the way, the way that he saw them. And so we'll, we'll jump into a passage sort of midway in just so you can get a little bit of the context. It's describing um, this relationship and, of Israel and the nations surrounding it and the way that God sees Israel. And it, it happens a number of times. But we're just going to look at Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 8. So I have been... Nope, that's the wrong one. Uh, for this is the, what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. This is the way that, that God is revealing that he is seeing his people. Not as those he wants to punish and judge and, and, and send hardship to and do my thing or, or I'll be mad at you and you, you don't do what I say and you don't stop doing what you're not supposed to do. Uh, no, you're the, 
You're the apple of my eye. You are of incredible value to me. When we want to talk about uh, doing things that are hard, you know, maybe being courageous, going out into the world and doing something powerful, um, the right way to do things. It works into some of our stereotypes, but we have a quick summary statement for uh, it's, it's time to stop sitting around, it's time to stop complaining, just get up and be a man. Be a man. This phrase actually comes also from Scripture. That this, is, this was the way that we would um, embody those good characteristics of, of care and compassion and strength and courage and uh, others-centered focus. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage. Be a man. It, it's not in any way to diminish uh, womanhood or to, to say that women are not important or significant. But this, the phrase that came out of that was, here is, um, these characteristics are beautiful. This is what manliness should look like in this care and compassion, the courage sort of side of things. And when you, when you hear that, you hear phrases like that, um, and, and, and things seem to happen in cycles, right? We're in that kind of a world again. Here's the next thing we have to face. And we, we, the common phrase that we would use here is, you know what, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that, that, that is has already been. We just see it again and again. And anyone who's a student of history will see again and again that things repeat, that come up again and again and over and over. There's nothing new under the sun. And this phrase was given to us by uh, a person named Koheleth. Koheleth is actually a title. It's not a name. It means the teacher. And the teacher we, we, we take to be King Solomon, who's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, giving wisdom on what it is to live in life, what this world looks like, divinely imparted wisdom to understand the world that we live in, the interaction between people. And he would say to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Here's another one. This one really blew my mind. I, I had heard it and I didn't even realize it myself where it was coming from. Have you ever heard someone, um, you, 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 went, you went to the, the party last night and in the next day somebody comes up to you and say, well, you know what, I heard that you're at the party. How did you know? A little birdie told me. Little birdie told me, right? Well, that's the way that we describe it, sort of lighthearted, oh, I found out about you. But it was, when the phrase originally came out, it was from um, the context of danger in your relationship to the king. And this um, comes from Ecclesiastes 10, verse 20. Wisdom from the teacher. Never make light of the king, even in your thoughts. And don't make fun of the powerful, even in your own bedroom. For a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. Wisdom. Don't speak ill of people. And it's not just because they might hear about it. It's just a, the way that we live that's better. And if you don't, you're going to find that there's no rest for the wicked. 
I'm sure you've, you've had that day, you kind of, I, you, you've been working for a while and then something else comes up and you kind of look at the people around you and you go, oh man, no rest for the wicked, Gus, I got to go back to it. No peace, no tranquility. We usually say it as in, I've got to go back to work. We don't think of it as, I can never find peace. I, I, I can never be free of the torment that I'm in. And that's more of the original context. From Isaiah 57, verse 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. It just keeps coming. And that's not necessarily something that God is inflicting or impacting on people. It's the consequences of your action. No peace. So in contrast to, to, to being wicked and not finding peace, what we want to do is find people who are Ah, the kind of people you want to build around, the kind of people that you can depend on, the kind of people that make the world better. We, we, we all know sometimes, maybe you're one of those people, but we, we want to know more of those people. We would describe those people even from a distance. You, you hear about this frequently when, when somebody is, is um, speaking in, in, in memory of someone. They were great people. Real salt of the earth people. Real people you could depend on. The kind of people that you want around you. They're just good. And this phrase comes from Jesus, again, trying to um, explain what the kingdom of God looks like. Trying to paint a picture of what a difference it would make if these things could come to life in and around us. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And if, um, but what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled as worthless. The salt there speaks of the um, ancient culture has more of the preservative nature of salt. So we, we need salt to preserve our culture, but it also adds the flavor, the spice. The, it brings out the natural kinds of things. We need people salt of the earth. And people who are salt of the earth are frequently, maybe you can remember from Weird, we pulled this out from Weird, um, people who are salt of the earth tend to be on the straight and narrow. Stay on the straight and narrow. Don't get your nose dirty. Focus again, that straight and narrow. Matthew 4, this is where Jesus, we, we, we looked at this, the, uh, the idea of the wide road, the narrow road. That's what the whole premise of Weird, the series we just finished was about. Matthew chapter 4. Um, this, we're just going to pull this one from the King James. Because straight is the gate. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Stay on the straight and narrow. And if you are able to, in fact, stay on the straight and narrow, you will find that the truth will set you free. Another phrase that we hear people you know, typically using it improperly or inaccurately, but they know the phrase. <coughs> the knowing of the truth, the accepting of the truth, um, it provides clarity. It releases you from the burden of ignorance, the going in the wrong direction because you just didn't know, which is one of the great struggles that we're in right now that we kind of believe that everyone who believes differently than us is believing things that are not true. And, and so the former sources of trusted information, it's, it's default to call things regularly fake news. Oh, your, your, your opinion comes from that side, and so I don't listen to it. You disagree with what I'm used to. But here you would see again, if it was possible, 
to actually know the truth, the liberty that that truth would bring would make it so much easier to live life. But this is beyond that because truth is not just the concept. Truth is a person. The truth is Jesus. He has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So this truth is part of our eternal destiny. It's part of shaping the whole world that we live in, and it is, in fact, a central tenet, again, to this upside-down kingdom of God. John 8, 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is the concept of truth, that removing ignorance brings us to freedom, but there is the person of truth who brings us to freedom in Christ. We're able to put the things behind us and see life for what it really is. And then another place where we would say, like, that just sounds upside down, that doesn't seem to be right. Maybe, maybe your parents told you this when you were, you were supposed to be buying your brother, your sister, a Christmas gift. Go to the store because, you know what? It's better to give than to receive. And we go, oh, stop it, that's ridiculous, it makes no sense. Give to me, that's what I want. Give, give more. Better to give than to receive. God is our giver. One of the ways that we can take on the, the Christ-like character that would, that would shape our world, that would become the kingdom of God on earth would be this desire to give. That we would see that there's greater personal development. There's greater transformation of us. There's greater honesty and integrity built into us when we are focused on giving instead of receiving. When it's all about receiving, you, you, just, you can't be happy. Because what you got makes you happy, but it only makes you happy for now. And the more you're in the habit of receiving, the more you need to receive for it to give you the same level of satisfaction. I need more. It's hard to be happy. In Acts, chapter 20, Acts is a, 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 great, a great book. It's, it, um, it, it's a story of what happened to the church, the movement that Jesus started after Jesus ascended into heaven. What happened after Jesus left? And it maps out years and years of the movement of the church, the movement of the individuals away from Jerusalem and out into the rest of the world, from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. That was the plan and the path for how this gospel, this story of good news, would move from being just a localized kind of individual, just small vision kind of thing to an international world-changing kingdom. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Or if it's from the Bible, it would be more blessed. For some reason, that's the way you read Bible. Everywhere else it's blessed. In the Bible, it's blessed. Another beautiful picture of, of what happens when things going well. When things happen quickly. You didn't, you didn't see that it coming. It just happened like that. It happened in the twinkling of an eye. Another beautiful poetic phrase that describes something 
happening quickly. And we, we become content to use that to say anything that happens quickly. But the story is so much better. This comes from a story about what is to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. Our hope in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall rise, raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So much more than it just happened quickly. The picture is linked forever with this idea that when Jesus returns, we're changed. The change that we've been longing for for so long, it comes to completion. Now, how can we know so many of these phrases and have no idea where they came from? How, how can we be so surrounded by a culture that, that knows of God and knows the things of God and yet has distanced those things from God? And that's a culture, but... How can we, we're individuals, how can we have spent so much time knowing these things, hearing these things, and not letting them sink into who we are? The God we serve is all around us. He has permeated so much of our culture. We've become used to Him being there. Choosing to not see Him there anymore. Choosing to be content with just His absence that we don't see him anymore, and he doesn't permeate us anymore. We become accustomed. We become complacent. We become content. I got things to do. I got places to go. I got important things to do. God, I don't have that kind of time for you right now. What I want to encourage you with is that this presence of God is around you in all kinds of ways and places that you didn't think he was even there. And so when you feel lonely and lost and afraid, you're not alone. There is the, the presence of God so much more near than you can understand and so much more around you. You know more than you think you do. It's there. Ask him to continue to reveal his truth to you. That you might grow in your faith. That you might be bold in taking that that next step towards God. Let him speak to you. Listen for him, even today. Kind Father, thank you again for the way that you have been at work in this world long before I ever existed. You have been faithful through generations. Lawgiver, but love giver as well. You are the giver of all good gifts. What we have around us that's good is because of you, inspired by you, motivated, created because of you. Today, tomorrow, this week as we go forward, help us to see where you have been where you are, where you are at work. Cause us to move in that direction. Help us to see as you see so that we can do as you say. Transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.